This next one, it isn't a song about getting anywhere. It's about walking toward somewhere that you've dreamed of. And maybe, maybe the walk is every day of your life. And the walking has to be enough. It's about hope. And we all need that. Recording, recording. Are you recording? Yes, recording. Recording. Yeah, all right, all right. Chug, with the trolley. Ding, ding with the bell. Sip, sip with the podcast. Welcome to Julie Sipes again. Julie Sipes! I'm here! Yay! I'm back, you, ladies and gentlemen. She's back by popular demand, the only lady that we have on the show. <laughs> I just jumped off the trolley. You're off the trolley. Hi. Hi. Coming all... This is your first episode, so a few things are happening right now, ladies and gentlemen, that are a big deal. First of all, there's a dog barking. It, there, it's so annoying. I'm sorry. No. Hang in there. Where's your... I can always edit this, but... Uh, <laughs> So, first of all, this is your first episode that you're recording where we're not in person together. Right. So, you're in Michigan and I'm in Chicago. Right. And you have mastered how to record by yourself. So, congratulations. Mastered? To... Uh, mastered. I don't know. That's that's a lot. Or more that's like your teenage daughter. Yes, exactly. Set up a computer I have for a, you. I, you know, I have my AV group here that... You know, Mimi Sipes that does it all. Mimi Sipes, she's her a one person AV team. And then the another thing is happening. Are you familiar with our Five Timers Club? I'm not. Is it similar to SNL hosting people? It is. You know how there's always the Five Timer. There's normally a sketch. Do I get a jacket? No, you get your if you when you make. Five times you get that cartoonist that does all of our cartoons. He makes a special customized cartoon for you, and oh. you go up in the annals of history. Oh my God, I am so. I have to have so that. You might be one of the first people, the fastest people to ascend to a five timers. Because since December, you've, or since November, <laughs> you've well, been on three, you've done one a month. You've well, done November, December, and January. It's because I keep insinuating myself. You, you're, you're a great I'm my own. I'm my own stage mom. Yes, I'm my exactly. own stage mother. <laughs> Which is a great transition, because today we're talking about uh, Judy Garland. We're talking everything Judy Garland. Yes. So we're not just talking the Renee Zellweger movie, which she has suddenly Zellweger. become the front runner for the Oscar. Yes. But we're just kind of talking Judy Garland, because you're a big uh, Turner classic movie, but you're also kind of our classic movie expert, if we will. Oh, man. So... And I know that Judy Garland has had a, a, a strong influence on you yes. as somebody who is a singer yes. is and is in his show tunes. Uh, uh, let me sound the uh, reference alarm. Uh, I'm, I'm hitting the siren because in our family, uh, our my brother Andrew Parker was in The Wizard of Oz uh, yes. starring Kristen Bell and Andrew Parker. Once, so we're going to yes. hit our... Our name drop siren. <laughs> name drop, name drop. Siren. Absolutely. But, so our, our family's always kind of had a connection. But before we get into the 
Renee Zellweger movie. Yes. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Francis Ethel Gum. Would you mind coming down this road with me this year? I would be happy to come down the road with you. So what are just your first feelings about Francis Ethel Gum? Well. A.K.A. Judy Garland. Yeah. When I was, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I would say. Do it. Do it. That's why we're here. Through my early years, I mean, I was singing um, in front of people since I was five, probably. And she was one of my biggest musical influences. So, and we were raised on classic films. And, of course, the infamous once every year Wizard of Oz would be on at Easter time and we would be glued to that film. But um, uh, Grandma and Grandpa would um, have us watch Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, all of them. I, I, I have probably almost all of her films in my giant collection. And um, she's just one of my favorite stars of all time and has had a huge influence on my singing style. So when I went to college and I was attending um, a voice coach session, he had said to me, it's clear to me that you have been listening to Judy Garland for a very long time because you are trying to sound like Judy Garland and I need you to stop it. So it was like when it's similar to when I was doing stand up and I wanted to be Dane Cook and and everyone (laughs) said, stop telling fart jokes like you're Dane Cook. No one wants Dane Cook Jr. Exactly. Why don't you just be Bob Panel? Exactly. Nobody wants Judy Garland Jr. for sure. So cut it out and start doing your own thing. But the main thing that I really identified with her as a vocalist is her emotional impact that she had on people from when she was very, very young. She had a very mature voice, and she always got right to the gut. I mean, many people have wept over Judy Garland singing. Yeah, she certainly sings from the heart. Absolutely, absolutely. She is gut level. um, And not only these are things that she gets... A lot of bad raps in film, when they do films about her life, they focus on her struggles and obviously her addictions and and her difficulty. But she was a consummate professional as a child, and she had perfect pitch. She had a photographic memory. I mean, she was working 13, 14-hour days as a little kid. I mean, she was a star performer of the highest level as a kid and then she went into adulthood um doing the same thing so she was always you know i could go on and on about it just a yeah tremendous it's really interesting performer. that you said it's interesting that you said that uh, you you identified her from when you were five and it does seem like not by any ways exactly parallel but you 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 she had her four sisters and yes. you had the four sisters yes. and you know, she was, she was singing, I think one of the, the things they say in the movie. And I also watched an A&E documentary that's actually just on YouTube. If anyone's interested in watching it, it's, it's, it's insightful, 
but it uh from from two years old she was singing jingle bells and and then her she had the stage parents and your parents very much were active in detroit theater right and she's from grand rapids minnesota we're from Michigan, so there's a Grand Rapids, Michigan, but she's from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, so it does kind of, she she has a feel and a sense about her that, at least, I don't know whether it's because of our family and, and our Midwesternness, but it, it definitely, but I mean, she's made connections with with many, many different people, wide variety. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Wizard of Oz, even. I know they still have in Indiana. Uh they, they they have Wizard of Oz parades and Wizard of Oz is still performed and, and it's still incredibly it's important in our zeitgeist. Timeless, timeless. Timeless. And no one, no one can sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow like Judy Garland. And just a little side note, she made Liza Minnelli, her daughter, promise alive or dead that she was never allowed to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> I mean, truly, I have never performed Somewhere Over the Rainbow in my life. If people have requested it, if I've been in a gig, and I've never done it because you just can't capture that performance. Well, I mean, not. she's just tremendous. tremendous. And then, but, and, and a lot's to be made about the, and this was that old, golden age Hollywood but just the way they treated those kid stars and really the kid stars were the biggest stars of the time and yes and they get the Shirley Temple and and they very much just emotionally and, and, and kind of by work abuse uh, abused her and then you also have Judy Garland and and they it's even interesting that they wanted they were kind of MGM was trying to decide between Shirley Temple or Judy Garland for the role of Dorothy and they, but that MGM, Mr. Mayor guy, just it seems just like an all-time a-hole. Total, total creep. I mean, even by um, modern standards of all the drama that's going in in Hollywood right now, I mean, complete, they were like cattle. And um, these children, they would, if uh, anybody, a parent or an agent would come in and say, you know, my child is not going to work these hours or whatever, they would go and they would find a lookalike kid and they'd bring the lookalike kid out and they'd say, you know what, if your kid's not going to do it, I have this lookalike kid that'll stand in and, and do it instead of you and you'll be fired. And at that time, many parents of these kids were living off of these these kids their money I mean that's how they were making their living they were supporting their parents and that goes on a lot now too still even though there are laws well, yeah, in place just, to protect them they just them. made a movie with um, uh, Shia LaBeouf and about, it's all about how he was yeah the the stress of financially supporting your parent and at what, a very young age. And what happens is you can't say no to the kid then because the kid is paying your mortgage so when the kid says like poor that Shy LaBeouf, such a talented young man, but when he wants to drink or do drugs or whatever, is the parent going to say, no, you can't party, you can't do this, you can't do that because you're actually paying for my house. So there's no sense of boundary as a child. So that part of it, that's where it... And then also a lot of times what happens is transitioning from a kid into an adult, which I think they talk a little bit about in the Renee Zellweger movie, and that was... Um, she Judy did transition. Um, she did make that full transition from being this little chubby kid to being 
and um, an ingenue and then a romantic lead and um, and then eventually um, her her abuses got the most of her but she was just a tremendous talent not just in singing either I mean she was she could dance with Astaire she could dance with Kelly she could keep up with all of them and she um, was a wonderful dramatic actress. She was nominated for an Oscar for um, Judgment at Nuremberg, and that was no singing, no dancing, just a straight role. And she was also nominated for um, a Star Stars is Born. Born. Yeah, but that she sang and danced in there. That she would. Yeah. That she had a dramatic turn. Yeah, she's. I, yeah, I just wasn't aware that she had uh, had that kind of second wave of her career in, in that A&E documentary definitely highlights just the fact that she reinvented herself a couple different times coming out of that because there was always a lot of press around her and her troubles and her struggle uh coming out of out of that first stage in her career right but I did I, I I did remember when Starsborn came out hearing about the other uh you know the the Judy Garland one and the who it was it Streisand was Streisand it? and Chris Christopherson yeah and so there's... I'd heard about some of the other ones but I was like oh I should I'd be interested to see her in in that Star Is Born remake I think that she is really when I hear Star Is Born of course because I'm already a huge Judy fan I only think of Judy in that role and I have seen every Star Is Born except for this latest one. And so okay. there's time. <laughs> yeah, there's time. I still can do it. There's time. So there I also thought it was interesting just the way the studios would take these kids and for the f- sake of publicity even stage parts of their life and and that's also comes into the movie as well where she's having you, you think she's having this date with uh mickey rooney yes. and it and then there's all the and then all of a sudden it cuts away and you see all these photographers or you see her go to quote a birthday party but it's on the mgm lot and the cake is made of plastic and, and you're not supposed to jump into the pool and, and it's just it's all it's all a publicity um it, it was all done for these little shorts that they would show at the movie theater before their feature films and they would do these little publicity shorts and so many young kids their entire childhoods were cobbled on these studio lots judy um judy mickey um uh elizabeth taylor uh shirley for sure they would give shirley all of this stuff and then little shirley temple they would take it all back and she would say well what's going on and it's well we donated it to this and it's going to this hospital and blah 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 and so it was it was definitely um a time of and they did it to adults too but you signed that contract and they owned you lock stock and barrel and if you um did anything to tarnish the image for example if judy wanted to go out on dates with other people or whatever all of these things had to be kept from the stu- like it all had to be done behind the scenes and everybody that she saw in movies would be she was dating them which they still kind of do that too now yeah i mean they're still yeah they they, they definitely have relationships that are cobble yeah city but just as a kid you could see where that would have a warp effect on just how you develop relationships in general and then of course she's gone through five or six marriages which always end in 
horrible failure. I mean, every time yeah. she seemed to get in a marriage, it was like, there's only one way for this to end, which well, is a disaster. Which is so, terrible. And, you know, her father, She, her parents were vaudeville performers, and her father... They would have to move from town to town because the dad was always hitting on young men that were either was, working yeah, he was in the a theater. Homosexual. And so she would always be attracted to these completely unemotionally un, emotionally unavailable guys. And, or feminine men. Yes. Right? Vin, Vincent men Minnelli. That, men that were either on the, on the spectrum or bisexual or Exactly. That was probably a, a a result of just that was the only male figure she had in her life and he was a he was sexual yeah yeah and criminal i mean criminal charges were brought against this guy and then the mom she would say later in um different biographies that her mother was the true wicked witch of the west and her mother i'm you know she pretty much had a a huge hand in her long-term addiction by feeding her pills even before Louis B. Mayer started dieting Judy, the mom was dieting her. All the girls, all of her daughters, she had on amphetamines and so it was, you know It's tragic. It's a tragic yeah, Hollywood yeah, story. Yeah, and really. that's why when she sings, it's usually even when she's singing Sing Hallelujah, Come On Get Happy even the happiest of tunes, there is always this verge of heartbreak in her voice that you can hear, that I definitely can hear. And, you know, I know this is another thing that's on a completely different subject, but she is a huge gay icon. And I think one of the reasons why is, one, that she reinvented herself and she was a survivor, but identifying with that verge of heartbreak that that really... um, set a tone in the gay community that they really picked up on this vulnerability about her that was just not manufactured in the least you always got what was in her soul in every performance so i just i can't say enough about her yeah and i think that comes through there's that the the gay couple in the movie and she goes Uh, and she has the runny eggs and she and and i guess what we'll do is we'll just kind of lace in the movie as we go here but yeah she she definitely seemed to be very open and and um understanding and and almost kind of through her own ways identified with with that with that lifestyle strife yeah for sure and that that part in that film um that couple I found very endearing and she actually did that a lot where she would go out with these um, gentlemen that were waiting at the stage door. She would do that a lot because she felt like an outcast in a lot of ways. Yeah, she was lonely. Yeah, and I I was was going to ask you, uh, and I wrote this down as a question to ask you. So we've been talking a lot about the amphetamines. We've been talking about... To the the tragic nature of her life, by knowing all this stuff and knowing all this stuff every time you watch it, does it change the movies when you watch them? Do you kind of look at it with a little bit of sadness? Or are you able to separate? That's a really really good question. Um, I have been in just such an admirer of classic film for the longest time, and I have a lot of lore and uh, fable and a lot of those old Hollywood star stories. But still, when I see those pictures, um, I still get lost in those stories, no matter how many times I've seen them. And so with her background, the only times that it really strikes me 
about everything that she went through is when she sings. But um, the rest of the time, I do get lost in her character and her story, which I think is, you know, a testament to her as, a, as sure, an yeah. actress. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, I've seen, I've read a lot about her in her life, and I've seen different um, interpretations of who she was as a person. And I really have a lot to say about Zellweger's performance. And I... Um, yeah, let's get into it then. What you, eat, so we'll transition. I, so the movie is about a, a very specific period in her life, which right. not a lot of people know about, and it's the end of her life, basically. Yes. But in the winter of 68, she goes to London. She's dead broke. She is slated to perform at a theater there, and she's trying to earn enough money to be able to go provide uh, basically stable housing so she can have her kids To be back. with her kids. Yeah. She had which a ton is, of debt, which was yes. from her husband's. A lot of it was from her Sid husband's. Sid Loft and, yeah. and those guys. Yeah. So she goes to London, and, and she is struggling because of the toll that the pills that she takes takes on her nervous system, and just her, her just general spin-out that she seemed to forever be in, and she's uh, basically in her last stage of exploitation, but she's just praying for an opportunity to be done touring, and she just wants to rest and rest easy with her children. And it's really just about that time, just that 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 winter in that her life. That very specific time, yeah. And she. What did you think of Renee Zellweger? I was very disappointed. I must <laughs> okay. be honest. And I and I I have a lot to say about it because I'm not I'm not a Renee Basher because I enjoyed her in Chicago and I enjoyed her performance in Cold Mountain. And okay. um, so I'm not questioning. Little Roxy Hart. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed that, but um, this particular performance, one, I don't feel that she should even be in the category for an Oscar. I don't think she should have gotten the Golden Globe. I'm, and I have to say this too, and you can stop me if I start prattling, but. I'm not, and I've told you this before, when Leo played Howard Hughes, I couldn't do it. Watch when yourself I, now. I know. <laughs> I can't. No, it's not his best performance. I thought he was very good as Howard Hughes. I, but. I, and I've got to say, I've got to say this. Give me Lincoln. Give me Harriet Tubman. Give, give me interpretations of historical figures. I can take them all day long. But when you bring my people... <laughs> my my classic film yeah. people and try to redo them it's particularly difficult so i'm a hard sell i'm not a typical audience goer and i if i had a nickel for every person that i know that came to me and said oh my god have you seen judy it's right up your alley it's so you and it couldn't have been not not you me see more. i i would have never gone to you I knew we were going to do this episode, and that's why you watched it. But I would have, I would have always assumed that you were going to be a very hard sell based on the conversations around Howard Hughes and some of the other things we've talked about. I would have never been like, "You got to see this." I would say, <laughs> if you watch this, it's going to make you upset. Yeah, I don't want to see Kate Beckinsale play Ava Gardner. I don't want to see. I mean, they're very. I don't even want to see Jamie Foxx play Ray Charles. And it, honestly, if I have seen the person on film before, the is a terrible thing to say it's hard it's hard for me to see another person 
if they're impersonating them. Now, Johnny Cat, I didn't have a problem with Joaquin. So maybe I, you know, I have some exceptions. Did you see the Bohemian Rhapsody movie? I couldn't even get through the first 40 minutes. Yeah, we and you could go back and listen. We we liked Bohemian Rhapsody, but definitely when it came Oscar time, thought it was I remember, very much overrated. But I, at least she's singing. At least Renee Zellweger's singing. And no one can sing like Judy Garland. We've already talked about right. a very unique talent in the voice. But I, I do think... She gets lost in this role, and and I I kind of was along for the ride. I don't think it's a great movie. This no, movie. no, it's very Oscar Beatty, but I did I did I was very surprised because I'm I'm big on Scarlet this year, and I want Scarlet to win. So I kind of went in with preconceived, almost rooting against this movie a little bit. But I did go along for the ride, and I was emotionally impacted during the the phone call scene to her daughter. Yes, that okay. So there, I it's. We're on the same page because her, the subtleties in her performance, I found extremely powerful. And there were times even vocally, and if you listen to um, any of Judy's material from those London, from that London tour, she sounds horrible as Judy, she sounds so horrible. So it's perfect. Zellweger's like, I could do bad Judy Garland. She and she and <laughs> so she did it. She exactly stop doing that. So <laughs> she so when she's doing it, what I loved about that she was singing, and that it was just good enough where you can understand why they would ask her to perform night after night, and she had that emotional impact on people. Even though one night she would be falling off the stage and one night she would be incredible, it was all based on that emotional, it was soul-changing. And that I appreciated in her performance very much. I have to tell you, and I do not like shaming people's physical physical appearance, but mm-hmm. Renee Zellweger acts with her mouth. And there is something about her affectation when she's acting that it's all coming from the mouth area and it's so distracting to me well she's had a lot of plastic surgery too which is i just tough you're right we don't want to be shaming out here but it is is distracting to the performance slightly and all i could think of was if you could just make that more subtle but so much of the pronunciation and so much of what she was doing was based on camera angle just right in her face. And mm-hmm. so I felt, um, and I also felt, not all on Renee Zellweger, I felt that the screenplay, I wasn't really, I, I thought it was a little um, overly sentimental. Um, and I know that sounds harsh too because it's about addiction. And but when she's running down that hallway and the pills drop on the floor, I'm thinking, is this Lifetime TV? Am I watching Hallmark <laughs> Television uh, yeah. addiction? You know, it's so I that part of it. You know, when you tell me it's nominated for an Oscar, she's nominated for an Oscar. You it's know. the only thing that the movie's not nominated, nothing about direction. Yeah, it's no. The, she's, the only thing is just the performance. And, and it is, and that's really the only reason to watch the movie is, is because of the performance. 
Yeah, and the thing about, you know, at the beginning she can't eat the cake and then at the end when they get her the cake and I'm sort of like, okay, we've got the cake reference. I mean, I'm really, it's harsh, but I feel like when, when I, it just was not, I just was not a huge fan. And I thought that the part, the strongest parts I felt in the film, I thought um, Rufus... Sewell, 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 yeah. He's a wonderful actor, and I, you know, he was subtle. And that her, the girl that was helping her, the young lady that was helping her while she was performing, I thought she did it a, a good yeah. job. Yeah, and she has a little arc too because she's shoving her out on stage, and then I think she eventually comes around to the nature of this business and, and the evil that she might be perpetuating. And I think she makes a, a connection with Judy and, and I, more understanding towards the end. And I felt that. And I felt that um, they one very, very specific detail that they didn't address. And I kind of don't understand why they changed how she met Mickey Dean oh, at the yeah. end he was actually her drug dealer. The first time they met in their life, he was delivering prescription drugs to her house. That's how they Dang. met. I did not know. Yeah, interesting. So, well, I do know because they talk about it when she goes to the physician, but eventually her liver got to be about four times the size that it should be. Yeah. And in, yeah. they put her on that uh, Benzedrine and, and whatnot. But I, I, I was stressed out at certain points when she's stammering around and you're like, she can't even put on her coat. How the hell is she going to get on stage? And then, and then it just lights up and boom. She pulls she's it there. out. Or, the, or, she's, or she, the, the prescription pill, she's got no voice. Yeah. She's, and she's, it, I, have, I cannot talk right now. How am I supposed to sing? But then she, it was just that adrenaline kicks in and she's able to light up that show. And then they've got, a, they've got the wheelchair. they got a wheelchair out of there because she's completely exhausted. Ounce. Well, you know, as a performer, even in your healthiest state at the end of these pouring your guts out on stage, when you go to leave, you're exhausted. And this is a person that probably had not slept a full night of sleep in over 20 years. So it's, yeah. I, I mean, and she, she, I do um, see a lot of parallels between her and of course other troubled performers, but a lot with Amy Winehouse. Because Amy mm. Winehouse, in her performing style, when you went, when you bought a ticket, you're thinking, I'm either going to have my life changed or she's going to fall off the stage. I mean, that was, you kind of were rolling the dice. Is it going to happen? And with Judy, that was um, when they hired her for films. She couldn't, they wouldn't insure her because she would not show up for weeks at a time. So yeah. she, so these are... Well, it's interesting, and it, it just affects you and your whole person and your whole being. I know there was a documentary on Lady Gaga that was all just about basically the more success I get and, and the bigger the opportunities come along, the more my relationships fail. And it's just... Yes. It, it's always... It's it, it's a very hard life. And I was I was touched by a moment because you were talking about just us as performers. I, I, I felt this moment... When she says, I still believe the love you find with an audience. And I still believe in that. Oh, yeah. She, she tells that to her handler. Yes. And and I'm sure Renee Zellweger, the actress, feels that as well. Because she's been absent and you know, she's a little like Judy. She's This is kind of a second wave of her career. and But that, that, that love that a performer feels to the audience and the sense of purpose. And there's been a few times 
recently in movies where I've I've just it's really hit me. One of them was in the movie Don't Think Twice. It's an improv movie, but one of the actors says. You know, every day I, I work at a grocery store and I hand out cheese samples. And what those people don't understand is tonight I'm going to go down to the improv and I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be a rock star. And if I don't have the improv, if I'm not an improviser, then I'm just a guy handing out That's cheese. That's exa- exactly, exactly. And, 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 and it's just when you, because I remember just being somebody that was in comedy or, or, you know, I was going out for auditions all the time and it made me feel unique. And and when I would come home, they'd be like, oh, this is my nephew. The He does improv in Chicago or he does comedy. And then when I made the transition out of that lifestyle, you definitely felt like you were losing a little bit of what made you unique or purpose. I'm just a sales guy now. A, and a so part of, I think, in a major way that you communicate, do you, a, a huge way that you communicate is through you, how you are on the stage. So I yeah. think you lose a part of yourself when you're not doing that. Do you know what I'm and saying? S- yeah, and so I still keep it part of my life, but I just, I, that, that, that line resonated, just the love you feel with an audience. And yes. It's, and it's, and it's, sometimes it's selfish. Sometimes, you know, the, I, I think we're all there being selfless, and, 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 and the whole goal is to entertain the audience, but you're getting something from it too. Um, you know, it's definitely... It's- um, it's, it's a it's, symbiotic, yeah. Yeah, and there was another set of movies written by a guy named Robert Siegel. One of them was The Wrestler. It was the, the Mickey Rourke wrestler movie. Yes, yes. And the other one he made was called Big Fan, and it was really clever because it was kind of the duality of the relationship between fans and stars. And The Wrestler especially, he's this washed-up wrestler, and he's he's trying to whatever he can like cling to everything we're talking about clinging to that purpose and he's out there and he's got a a heart bypass surgery and he's still trying to be a wrestler and he basically does it to to the grave and it's just that relationship between star like fading star and and you know you see her at the top of the movie and she's with her kids and kind of a, a smaller time in cabaret theater and it's just she goes to london because that's the last place where she's a big deal and, um, you know, it's just kind of that the, the star's relationship to the audience, I think, is just is, is always something that's touching to me and, and fascinating as a character. It, totally, totally fascinating. And I guess the other part that always strikes me about Judy and about someone like Amy Winehouse or people that we've lost too soon is that so many people benefited off of them them contributing their entire lives to entertaining us. I mean, so many people made money. So many people, you know, it's just they kept going and taking and taking and taking. And after a while, you know, the sensitivity that we love so much about the performer is ends up being their undoing. You know, similar yeah. also to Marilyn Monroe. It's just like you're you need to keep giving and giving and then what happens is that, you know you're you're used like they completely used Judy Garland the studio and then cast yeah. her aside my question always with these struggles is isn't there anyone in there any adult that's coming up to her and saying you can't keep living like you can't keep doing this the only person that does it is the physician and the young woman that's helping her at the theater Everybody is using, everybody stands to gain from her 
work, including the that Mickey Dean. Everybody mm-hmm. were they were picking off of her dying bones. They were vultures, and that part of it, you always. I'm always thinking to myself. Who's going to come in and say, you need to go to the hospital. You need, you need help. No one. I mean, you know, when Mickey Dean, when she married him, that, that guy, they had a wedding set up in London for 300 people. 40 people showed up because Aww. they felt that she was marrying her drug dealer. We're not going to show up for that. I mean. Jeez. That's sad. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. So and it, then he bails as soon as he finds out that she has to inherit, or he has to inherit her, her debt. Her debt, yeah. And so that's so you the the streets are strewn with bodies of young stars that were, you know, they got the studios and the everybody got what they needed out of them, and then they just got cast aside. And that's why that line is so important, Julie. I still believe in the love you find with the Ex- audience because it's 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 in that flashback where she's. She's saying that she can't do it, and the and the four movies a year are killing her, and 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 the and the Mr. Mayor at MGM says, uh, you know, do you want to go out that door? Yeah, because you're gonna be like everybody a else, snaggle you're gonna get swallowed up by America. Yeah, you're gonna yeah, you're from the Midwest, and she's enamored with being glamorous, and I think that was that she was kept alive by the only constant in her life, which was to be a powerhouse, to be a star, and to and 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 to have that relationship with the audience and. And I think that's um, that. That's kind of the core of the movie, and it's also just what was her undoing it was like it, that, yes. that poison, you know that 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 addiction to it. that. Yeah, and and that that part of um, your career. I mean, at the end when she's you know she's leaving that gig at Talk of the Town, and they've got that cheesy British comedian guy that's going to take over for her. And then she's backstage, and it's not I enough. I loved the guy. It's not enough I, for her. <laughs> you love like that Mr. Bean guy that's backstage. And no, like, I didn't. No, I'm not talking about Mr. Bean. I'm talking about the two, the two guys, the the couple that. Oh uh, yes, they're incensed at the ticket booth. They're my favorite part of that film. I get, mean, that's... go get the go get your manager. <laughs> I mean, they've got their little pounds, you know, rubbed yeah. together to go and see their star, and then they can hear her and they're singing and they're, you know, she's on, she's on, she's yeah, on, right? Okay, so then to your point, she goes backstage and she says, she, "Can I get one? Can more Can I song? do one more? Can I do this?" And then she goes out and she kills it, you know, emotionally she kills it, and she. But that's, you know, that's that's part of her addiction is that applause and that admiration, even though two days before they were throwing stuff at her. You know, it's... One, yeah, one thing the movie gets really well is just how witty she was. And I got that when I watched the documentary. Oh, yeah. And, Annie, and, I, and I watched all her interviews with Jack Parr and, and Johnny Carson. But she she was very quick. Very and quick. I think she get she got duller as she got older well, the, the medication the medication really kind of wore she was insanely um witty and charming and was not because she was not considered the glamour girl i mean she knew that about herself she was not afraid to pratfall or look stupid or do any physical humor you see a lot of it in easter parade and she wasn't afraid to make fun of herself even though she really was this giant giant star she was not 
hung up on the same sort of thing that maybe an Ava Gardner and Elizabeth Taylor couldn't do. She could do that comedic turn. Yeah, insanely charming. Everybody wanted her at parties to be a guest. I mean, she was really a dynamic personality. It's just, you know. Yeah, she but was... you see that in when in her banter with the band or sometimes oh, yeah. she did some crowd work in the movie and she's actually, she's pretty funny. Yeah. And and I think the movie got it got that sense pretty pretty well. And but I, overall a, 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 a decent movie. Yeah. And I think it's not the best. two things I want to say. One is I think it's exactly right your point about Renee coming back in. Um because another thing I have to say is every time I even see her accepting awards or an interview she always seems medicated to me and of course it comes in handy when you're playing Judy Garland but as just her person Renee Zellweger she seems to be under an influence and I don't know if that's just her personality or whatever but I do feel like she is she is an exact that playing this role it's the perfect time for her to play this role, just as you said. Yeah. I think the timing could I'm not sure be it's better. Life imitating our, or I, Absolutely. I don't know to what degree, but I'm sure she's identifying with somebody that used to be a very big deal. Yes. She was, like you said, Chicago. She's in Jerry Maguire. Yeah. She was, she's she was at the everything. top of the weight, Bridget Jones, which she's wonderful in those movies. I, I'm, I mean, the, and then yeah, and then, then you go away for a long time, you lose identity, and then it's this this comeback, and I, I'm sure, and it's like she's playing a very specific time in Judy's life that's mirroring her life, and I'm I'm sure she's reflected in, in a lot of that by playing that role, and um, I just I. I've, I and and uh, Jerry Maguire is one of my favorite movies. I, I, yeah. I, I have always really liked Renee Zellweger, but I uh, just through this Oscar season and and this is kind of the, the evil that Oscars make make out of me because I really am rooting for Marriage Story and I'm, oh, I'm yeah. worried Marriage Story isn't going to win any sort of acclaim, which shouldn't make a difference. It impacted me. Why does, absolutely? Why does it need awards? But. It just, I, uh, and do <laughs> we need to go, do we need to go through the list of how many movies that did not get these Oscar accolades that end up historically being yeah, some of the most profound impactful. films? Yeah. And yeah. another thing that you had said to me that I keep in my mind now, whenever I see modern films is you made a statement on, I think it was your last podcast with Matt. You said, I've got to learn that it, these are not your exact words. It, I've got to learn to just let it ride and just take the movie for what it is. It's like yeah. Star Wars is Star Wars. It's not Lawrence of Arabia. It's not this. It is what it is. And I've got to learn to just calm down and just accept the films for what they are. And yeah. that's, and you're preaching to, because I think to myself when I'm watching these films and getting kind of, upset stupidly that it's you know maybe they didn't make this one for me or it's just there for entertainment it's not supposed to change my life and I think that's one of the downfalls of always watching classic films it's like when you watch classic SNL skits you're thinking that all of them are all great but that's not all you go through a lot of crap to get to the great ones do you know what I'm saying 
So the line I said was, I believe I, I need to make I need to meet movies on their own terms. Yes, more. yes. Then I get too rah rah about movies that I'm really into, and then I go the other way. I go almost completely the other side of the pole when it's when I'm not into a movie, and I need to to accept movies more for what they're trying to do. This is me. And yeah, and so I think, and and the the part you're making about the golden age thinking is really interesting because. SNL, I, me, I, I live with three comedians, so we had the whole, we had every season of SNL on box set, and you would watch those ones from the 70s, the Belushis, and you yeah. know, my parents, my parents would always go, it, it never gets better than Belushi, it never gets better than Aykroyd, and then you watch those, and there's yep. just as many misses as Absolutely. there are in today's SNL. Right. And you're going, yeah, What's you're, happening? you're remembering Bassometer and you're remembering Cheeseburger, Cheeseburger. But like on a given SNL, there was probably 13, <laughs> there was, there was horrible, several sketches that were done. Horrible ones. And, and so, you know, you, you, you kind of pick and choose and, and, and you, you make your memory what it is. But it, it you know, I, I think everybody, I, I've said this a billion times on this podcast, but everyone's favorite SNL sketch was when they were 12 or 13, because that's when your sense of humor is very impressionable and, and you're developing your sense of humor at a, at a more It's such a valid and, point. And that's the SNL that's in front of you. So someone's favorite, S, my favorite SNL is is Mike Myers and Chris Farley and Dana Carvey, and that's when I was 12 and 13. It's your golden right now, age. Someone's your golden 12, age. this is as good as it gets. If a 12-year-old watched Adam Sandler on SNL today in, like, you know, the lunch lady land, I don't know if they connect to it the same way I did. But, you know, it is, it, that's, it's just whatever when you were 13, that's when your favorite band is, and that's when your favorite SNL And is. I completely agree with that, and that's why I'm saying about the TCM and my approach to movies is when I see modern films, I mean, if I see, if I'm only watching the classic films, I'm seeing the top of the top. And so I've got to keep that in mind. I mean, I've got to just yeah. take them for what they are. And Judy Garland made four movies a year. I'm sure some of them were bad. Oh, <laughs> oh, and yeah, you've I've seen some. I have seen. I own some really bad ones. But I, you know, when she's in blackface, I mean, she's got some really. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, that's a whole. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> Which I, I can go on, and, and Mimi was watching it with me, and she's saying, Mom, I just don't think this is right. And I said, yes, it's absolutely wrong. Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland in blackface is completely wrong. Oh, completely goodness. wrong. Yeah. Well, at least Mimi's... Learning. She's She's got a good compass. <laughs> she does. She does Great. it that. She does it that. Well, I'm going to play you out with the oh. song you've talked about a few times. We're going to go over the rainbow. You're on the other side of the rainbow in Michigan. And, Thanks and for you, joining me. And you know that's why the the pride flag is a rainbow. It's because of Judy. I did not. <laughs> I just told you that. Yeah. Now I know. Well, now you know. Well, thank thanks you for joining me. On thank the other you side for of having me. I can't wait for my for my fifth visit. Yeah. You got to get one more in, and then on the fifth one, you'll have a. a I'm cartoon. so excited. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you, and thank Thanks you. Thanks for you having me. I love you, Boo. Talk to you All soon. Okay, Talk bye. to you soon. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, like and subscribe, please. Comment. Comment. Perfect. Bye. All right, everybody. Bye now. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bubbles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops, that's where